Good morning, everyone. Boker Tov. We want to thank our sponsors for our class this morning. Asher and Beam, Jacobs, Lila Nishmas, Shlima Bas Moshe, Neshama should have an Aliyah. We continue with our study of Emuna, and we are in the middle of this piece by Revolba, the great Mashkiach of Yushalayim. We've been learning about Birchas Anenin, about the brachos that we recite. A hundred brachas a day. Did anyone download the app? Don't tell me. I don't want to know. But I told you about this great app that counts your hundred brachas a day. A hundred days. A hundred times a day, rather. In the middle of your day, interrupt your day a hundred times in the middle of your day to say, hello, God, I see you. I feel you. I recognize you. I feel blessed by you. And it can't help but change your day. It's the promise of Chazal, the promise of our rabbis, and the promise that Revolb has been unpacking for us that the end of your day will be different. How different will any relationship be if you increase both the quantity and quality of the communications? So you could go away for two and a half days, some of us were just at uh, APAC, and not check in once, and your relationship's going to struggle and suffer because there wasn't even the effort or the initiative, and you weren't sharing, and you weren't confiding, and you weren't bonding with words. Or you could check in, not quite a hundred times a day, that's a little bit debilitating, but you could check in and then you know the other person cares. They cared enough to send that text. They cared enough to make the phone call. They care enough to say, listen to the incredible speaker I just heard. Listen to who I just met. Listen to who I just ran into. So the more that we communicate every day, both in quantity and the quality of the communication, it can't help but improve a relationship. And brachos are the means with which we communicate with Hashem. Obviously we communicate with davening. We begin our day in the middle of our day and we end our day by talking to Hashem by enumerating all the things that we need and expressing gratitude for all the things that we have and so on and so forth. But the hundred brachas a day are the little seemingly insignificant things finding Hashem in absolutely, absolutely everything. Okay, so we are underneath those three stars on page Kuf Yud Aleph. On the front side that says Birchas Hananen. We're in Alei Shor Chelek Aleph. Shar Sheni, Perak Esrim Ushnayim, the 22nd chapter of Shlomo Volba, the great Mashkiach of Yerushalayim. And he quotes here a Pasuk, we're familiar with this Pasuk, and it's perfect timing to study this Pasuk as we are counting down to Pesach. This Thursday night is the annual Pesach uh, OCD workshop. Vayom HaShem HaMoshe. Vayom HaShem HaMoshe. Amor ala aron kach matcha venatei yadcha al-mimei mitzrayim, al-naharasam al-yorehem v'agmehem v'yakom mikvamehem v'yuladam. This is the very first of the ten plagues. HaShem commands Moshe, who tells Aaron, take your staff, and place your staff on the water of Egypt, on the rivers, on every body of water, and the Yudam, they'll turn into blood. Rashi, by the way, this came out too soon, I don't know if anyone saw, just north of us in Florida, there was a, a plague, there's a development that there are frogs and toads everywhere. So for, for rabbis, you're like, Hashem, three more weeks, it couldn't have happened in three weeks. Like the perfect Russian material, Mamish, the perfect Russian material going into Pesach. But anyway, if you ever wonder, like, are these plagues metaphoric? Are the plagues symbolic? Did they really happen? Did they really make people suffer? Here it's newsworthy that one lousy development has frogs and toads all over. You can't step out on the sidewalk without stepping on frogs. Frogs here, frogs there, frogs are everywhere. So Rashi says, We all know, and our children will all invoke at the Seder. That Hashem tells Moshe, but Moshe doesn't do it himself. Moshe's the big man on campus. He's the big cheese. He's the top, top poncho. And yet he's not the one who invokes the first plague. You'd think Moshe would want the credit for the first plague. But it's not Moshe. Moshe hands it off. He delegates it to? To Aaron. And why is Aaron the one who does it, not Moshe? So Rashi famously tells us. 
because Moshe was saved by the river. Moshe, when he was a baby, was placed in a basket. He floated in the Nile, in the river. It would be inappropriate. It would be an absolute kafoy tov. It would be an ingrate to the river that saved his life to now strike it and transform it into blood. Does that measure sit well with everybody? I don't know, when I was a kid, it never sat well with me. Since when does the water have feelings? It's got to express gratitude to the river, it's feelings. Like who? Okay, so the challah also. You got it, the challah's going to be embarrassed, so we cover the challah. There are many reasons brought, that's the one somehow that became the most famous. But there are many reasons brought. Really, halachically, you're supposed to first make a bracha on bread before you do on, on wine or grape juice. We reverse it. Because on a, on a, what's today? Wednesday. Tonight's the shul dinner. So Wednesday night, you're going to go, first you'll break bread, and then you'll have some wine and you'll make a toast. So if you did the same thing on Friday night, what would distinguish it as Shabbos dinner? Someone walked into your house, how would they know it's Shabbos dinner? What makes it Shabbos dinner is that we do it in an unusual order. We do it different. So first we make a toast on the wine, and only then do we sit down to break bread. Aye, but the bread says, whoa, what about me? Halachically, we follow the order of the Pasuk that delineates all the wonderful uh, attributes of Israel. And Chita comes first, before Gefen. You're supposed to make a bracha on the bread before the wine. So the bread says, what about me? So we say, we're going to cover you. Somehow we make it feel better by suffocating it <laughs> under a blanket. So we put a challah cover on top of the challah. We suffocate it a little bit under a blanket. And we say, you just take a little nap. Chapa shluf. We'll be back with you in a minute. Don't worry, we're just going to make a quick uh, kiddush and we'll be back with you. We've got you covered. We've got you covered. So we cover, so we cover the challah. Amen. So we cover. So there are a lot of reasons given. Now is not the time. That's only one of them. There's many nafkaminas. Do you really always have to cover the... the is, is it a din in kiddush? Or it's a din in hamotzi, should it be covered when you're making the hamotzi? One of the reasons that's given is the man that fell in the desert, the heavenly bread that fell from the sky, was, uh, there was a layer of dew on the ground that protected it, and there was a layer of dew on top of it that protected it. So it was protected from the elements and from animals, and so we have a tablecloth on the bottom. A person should not eat Shabbos meal on a bare table, should always have a tablecloth. In fact, there's a notion of having a, a Shabbos tablecloth even if you're not eating at home. You don't have to set the table with china and, 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 and uh, glass. But even if you're not eating at home, you spread out a Shabbos tablecloth so that your Shabbos table is also experiencing Shabbos. Your home, your environment, the atmosphere is also experiencing Shabbos even if you're not eating at home that Shabbos. So we have a tablecloth underneath the food and we place the cover on top of the food because of the food. That has nothing to do with Kiddush and the order. And about many reasons are given and there are enough gaminas. There are practical differences between the reasons. Should you leave the cover on while you're saying the hamotzi? If it's only not to embarrass the challah, you could take the cover off as soon as Kiddush is over. If the idea is it has to do with the hamotzi and invoking the, the man, the significance of the man, the mana that fell from heaven, you should leave it on. Again, this is not a time for, for a discussion of that. So we don't embarrass the challah also. Does the challah have feelings? The challah have feelings? You know the great story of Yisrael Salamter was once invited to someone's home on a Shabbos and he comes to the table and the, uh, in the meal, the husband is berating the wife. You put too much salt in the soup and I can't believe you, you forgot to bring out the dips and you, you brought out the dips and you didn't put them in the fancy new dip holder and you just put them out in the plastic and he was, whatever, he was berating the wife for all these things. Rabbi Salanta turned to the husband and he said, tell me, why, why did you um, cover the challah when you make Kiddush? So the husband said, what do you mean? I don't want to embarrass the challah. But you make, so he said, the challah you're worried about and your wife you're not worried about? So 
you know, the message of the great Rav Yisrael the message of uh, if we're treating an inanimate object in this way, all the more so, we should treat the animate objects, the people in our lives. Nebuch, we have people who are so scrupulous in customs and practices, and they don't draw the message, they don't learn the lesson of the whole reason that we're doing it. The whole reason that we're not in matters, which is what we're going to get back to right now with Revolba. So why is Moshe having to express gratitude to a river? Because a river needs gratitude? Why are we not embarrassing Chala? Because Chala is going to blush? The whole reason we're doing it has nothing to do with the river or the Chala. It's because we're trying to train ourselves, we're conditioning ourselves to be people who express gratitude. We're conditioning ourselves to be those who don't embarrass others. It's supposed to work that if I wouldn't embarrass a Chala, certainly I wouldn't embarrass my wife or my husband or my children. That's how it's supposed to work. Instead, we'll sometimes yell at the wife, you forget, where, I need to make Kiddush, where are the chalas? The cover's here, where are the chalas? So it's not working, it's backwards. In the effort to not embarrass the chala, we embarrass the people around us. We have it entirely backwards, we've got to fix it. So again, Rashi quotes the Medrash, that Moshe did not strike the river. Why? The river saved his life. How could he, how could he be an ingrate to the river? So, uh, continuing. Second paragraph. Kinim, the plague of Kinim. Lice were all over Egypt. Rashi, again, who's the one who strikes the earth so that it produces the lice that are all over Egypt? Moshe delegates it to Aaron. Comes again Rashi. Moshe had a lot of debts of gratitude. He had a debt of gratitude to the Nile, saved his life, he floated in the basket. He had a debt of gratitude to the earth. Why? Because when the Egyptian, when he struck, when he killed the Egyptian by uh, protecting the Jew, and he buried the Egyptian in the earth, he hid him, he buried him in the sand. So therefore, how can Moshe strike the ground? And from this we learn basically, don't hit the hand, don't, what is it? Don't strike the hand that feeds you. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. Right? So you get that from here. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. So the Nile fed Moshe, the earth fed Moshe, don't bite it. It's a wonder. It's incredible. Look how far the character trait, the attribute of gratitude goes. You, we express gratitude not because we care whether the recipient hears or can hear or appreciates or needs the gratitude. The expression of gratitude is not to pay a debt for the other. That's not why we say thank you. We're not paying off a debt. I gave a drusha months and months ago, and I'm grateful to see that since then, not as a result of my drusha, but they actually changed the device. But I said the first time we got a gift of uh, Alexa, what's that thing called? Alexa. It's called an Alexa? Yeah. Okay, so, uh, yeah, every week I tell a shy story. So we overheard Shai asking Alexa, are you friends with Siri? <laughs> no? It's a Yiddish cup. That's a great question to ask. It makes a lot of sense. They would be friends with each other. Alexa, are you friends with Siri? And then last week we overheard him saying, we heard him saying, Alexa, did you know I was in the hospital? <laughs> right? Anyway. That's my shy story for the week. Someday he'll grow up and listen to the shiurim and be grateful his father talked about him. So, should I tell the yarmulke story? We'll save that one. We'll save it. Anyway, so, 
Why am I telling you that? Because it bothered me. Someone gifted us, we had one of these Fakakta Alexas in the house. Yeah, I gave the drasha back. I said, what bothered me? Because the kids would bark at the Alexa. Alexa, play blank. Alexa, say, Alexa, what's the weather? Ale- How about please? How about thank you? And I thought that Alexa should be programmed that it only will respond if you say please. And Alexa should respond that if within 30 seconds you didn't say thank you, it says, how about a thank you or you're welcome. It should be a teaching tool, right? So that's exactly what, it's exactly what Revolba is saying. It's exactly what Revolba is saying. Does Alexa care? Alexa is an inanimate computer program. Does it matter if you say please or thank you to Alexa? Of course not. But what's going to happen to a generation of children who bark at Alexa and bark at the car and bark at Siri and bark at their phone, do this, play that, bring me this, go there, send me the directions, put up the map. And, and then it comes to the mother and it says, feed me dinner. Where's my laundry? Take me to school. And you say, well, how about please, thank you. So I don't say that to Alexa. Why don't I say it to you? Alexa does her job. You do your job, mom. Bring me to school. Drop me at school. So... The whole reason that we're saying please and thank you is not for the recipient. It's not for the target of our please or our thank you. The whole reason we're doing it is for ourselves. Even when it comes to water, when it comes to earth or sand, you have to be grateful. The Sefer HaChinuch writes, you know what the core of, of the mitzvah of Kibar Aveim, honoring a father and mother, the core of the mitzvah of honoring our father and mother is gratitude. Gratitude. We literally would not be here without our father and mother. There's a whole literature in halachic uh, discourse about are you obligated to honor a father and mother who are abusive to you? Now that, that halachic literature is in the extreme. A father and mother who are physically abusive, a father and mother who are emotionally abusive. And then if you go to the more moderate on the spectrum, but there are people, I, I've had many discussions with people who struggle with honoring a father and mother who are not physically abusive or emotionally abusive in the classic extreme sense, but who are manipulative and difficult and make them feel bad about themselves and who, are, who will make their lives very difficult. And is one halakhically obligated to maintain or preserve a relationship with a parent who does not make a person feel good about themselves or bring out the best in them or makes challenges in life? It's not a simple question. It's not a simple question. But part of that halakhic discussion is that despite how they make you feel today, there's a level of gratitude that you would not be here without them. You wouldn't be here without them. If a doctor, if a person had a heart attack and they're on the side of the road and they were about to die and a doctor stopped the car, got out, gave CPR, saved the person's life, no matter how obnoxious or cruel that doctor was to you the rest of your life, some little sense of gratitude you'd have. You'd send a card, a note, a something, you'd check in. Some sense of gratitude you'd feel. So our parents did more than just save our life, they gave us our life. And at the core of the mitzvah of honoring our parents, I'm not, I'm not offering an answer to that question. And each circumstance and each scenario is different. And certainly if it's to the point of a relationship with a parent is going to disturb one's own mental health and one's own relationships, then one's own mental health and relationships come first. It's a separate discussion. I raise it only because Ravob is invoking the Chinuch, who says that the core of this great mitzvah, which we know is so important and it's so significant, kibra ve'em, at the core of it, the shorash is hakaras atov. Part of what defines us as human beings is gratitude. Is gratitude. When you fill your, your pet's bowl of food, it doesn't say thank you. I know it snuggles with you and tells you it loves you, but I got it, okay? All the pet lovers, I understand. But it can't express gratitude. 
It's that's a Pavlovian response. You fill the bowl, it snuggles with you, you'll fill the bowl again. It's a Pavlovian response. But real gratitude, real gratitude it doesn't have. That's uniquely human. And Chazal told us that a person who it's very interesting. The Hebrew word, the, the rabbinic language that we use to describe gratitude is hakaras hatov. And the, the inverse, the opposite is kafoi tov. Hakaras hatov literally translates to, hakara means to see, to recognize. Tov is the good. Hakara is to see, to recognize. And the opposite, kafoi, is to deny, to, to, to be an ingrate. So what it means is at the root of gratitude is the willingness to see good, to see good. You could be a very grateful person, but just you didn't even notice the good that someone did for you. Someone held the door, but you didn't bother saying thank you. You know, you get off an airplane and, and you just watch how many people walk off and walk right by the flight attendants, the pilots, and they don't say thank you. You know what it does? I, 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 was, I traveled yesterday with, uh, with Rabbi Moskowitz and with Rabbi Blumenthal um, on our way back from APAC. And we have a fun game. You, know, you go through the airport, and there are people in the airport who their entire day feel invisible. Their entire day they're interacting with people, but they feel invisible because those people don't interact with them. The people at TSA and the people selling you the incredibly overpriced water bottle and the people who are the flight attendant on the plane. And just when you stop and you just interact, a little banter, a little fun, you use their name, look at the name on the name tag and you use their name, you've humanized them, you've made them a human being again. You know what it is for the flight attendant, the pilot, if you say something, if you make a joke about the turbulence or the weather, about being in Florida, and use their name, you say thank you, thank you so much. What a smooth flight, thank you so much. You know what that does to a person, that gratitude? So we think, like, what do I have to thank him? He's doing his job. Alexa did her job, and Siri does her job, and that was the pilot's job, is to take me off safely, to land me safely, and good. I, everyone's in such a rush. I've got to get to my Uber and my Lyft and the person waiting, and should I meet them at arrivals or at departures, or what's the best strategy? And I've got to get to the bathroom because I forgot to go before we landed. Everybody's got their strategy. They're running off the plane, and nobody says thank you. And nobody says thank you. Why? Is the plane full of cruel, obnoxious, mean, terrible, self-centered people? Yes. But that's not also the reason. Especially the Washington plane, not so much. If it's coming from other parts of the country that I will leave off, more so. But that's not why. That's not why. That's not why. It's because, uh, it's because we fail to be makir tov. We're just not thinking about it. There's so, many other, so much other noise. There's so many other things in our mind. And, and we're running through life. What do you mean? My loved one's waiting for me. My Uber ride's waiting for me. The meeting I have to get to is waiting for me. I'm on the phone. I just landed, so I'm calling, and I'm on the phone, and responding to my text, and I'm making that phone call. So we walk right by the person who took us to 30,000 feet and then brought us back down on the ground, and we didn't crash or smash or blow up or die. We didn't turn upside down. We didn't throw up. And we, we walk right by this person who just performed a miracle, no less than Moshe taking us out of the desert. When you think about what the miracle of flight is... You think about what the miracle of flight is and how in a couple hours you're halfway across a country and what that would have taken just a few generations ago. And this person, who was literally the pilot, Raleigh Sully Sullenberger is the hero of all time because he, and, and he deserved to be a hero for landing on the Hudson. Hopefully our pilots don't have to. But this person piloted our ship of hundreds of people and took us in a metal tin into the middle of the air with no room for error and that if something would malfunction or he would make a mistake, we were done. And, and we just walked right by him. We didn't even say thank you. We didn't say thank you. How, what does that say about us, that you just walked by this person who just piloted the miracle? You can't say thank you. you can't say, so what it does for him is important, but forget him. You're not doing it for him. It's for us. 
What do we look like when we're walking by people all the time? So that's why the Hebrew language, the rabbinic language is hakaras hatov. Because you're not makir tov. By the way, when you say thank you to the pilot, it wouldn't hurt to say thank you to Hashem also. This flight went well. Yes. We all know about the accident that happened a few weeks ago and they had to ground all that, those planes. What are they? The uh, 737s. So we, we've come to take it for granted that uh, you know, a plane... It happens to be that flying is safer than driving on I-95 in South Florida. It happens to be. <laughs> Statistically, it happens to be. At least the pilot could see over the windshield. It happens to be. But, but that's not the point. The point is, the point is, it's a miracle. So it's just a matter of seeing the miracles that are all around us. Do we live life with Hakara Satov? Do we see the good? Or do we take the good for granted and we're on our phone and we're walking and we're going and we're eating and we're doing and we're running? Are we kafoy tov? Hakofer shalchavero, kofer baruchu. If you start by failing to see the good that your friend does for you, then you're going to fail to see the good that God does. Haragel lakachas mikolabayel yado kiiluzem agilo. Vein benafsher adinus lahargish b'tovaso shalchavero shehetiv lo b'matanaso. Heyach yakir b'tovaso shalkadosh baruchu. If you can't say thank you to the pilot, who's flesh and blood, who you can see before your eyes, who kept interrupting your favorite show right at the peak to make some announcement on the loudspeaker, and you can't bother when you're getting off the plane to a human being who you see and can hear, and as you shake your hands, can touch, you can see it, and you can't say thank you to him, then what are the odds that you're ever going to say thank you to God? So Chazal understood that if you live life and you begin to neglect and fail to say thank you to the people around you, we stop to say thank you to each other. Thank you for earning a living and providing for our family. Thank you for making this delicious dinner. Thank you for making the plans for our trip. Thank you for packing the suitcases. Thank you for worrying about, thank you for driving. Or, you know, is it assumed that one of the persons in the marriage is always going to drive so the other one always just gets to relax in the car and shows up? Or do they say, thank you for driving. That was relaxing for me and I know it wasn't for you and I appreciate it. There's tov, there's good being done for us all around us. And are we living life in HD? Are we seeing the good in high definition and in color and saying thank you? Are we, are we grateful, thankful people? Or are we failing to say thank you? Are we kafoy tov? Do we never see anything as good? By the way, a big part of that has to do with how we see ourselves. Arrogant people struggle with saying thank you. Humble people are overflowing with gratitude. Why? Because implicit in an expression of gratitude is the admission that I needed you and I benefited from you. So the arrogant person, the egotistical person who wants to think, I got it, I'm all that, I'm independent, I've got everything covered, I don't need you, I don't need anything, so how do I ever say thank you and acknowledge that I needed you? But a person who's humble who says, look, we all need each other, and I'm there for you and you're there for me, and I'm just humble, I just blend in, has no problem saying thank you. It's a famous Rav Huttner, I've said it a thousand times, but I'll say it again, a beautiful inside of Rav Huttner, that the word for gratitude is todah, Mode ani. Go back to the first sitter snippet. Not ani mode. You can't wake up in the morning and your first word be I. We don't live life where your first word is I. Jews wake up and the first word on their lips is mode. gratitude. Thanks. Oh, I woke up. My first word is thanks. The second word is would you shut off that alarm? It's driving me crazy. No. The first word is not ani, it's mode. So the word mode, Rafutner pointed out, in Hebrew you could be mode le and mode al. The same word. I could be modé to you about this, or I could be modé about. Modé le and modé al. The same word. The same word means grateful. I'm grateful to you for doing X. Or modé al means I admit that. You say I owe, hundred, you, I owe you $100, and I say I'm modé. I'm modé. I admit it. I, owe you, I admit it. I admit it. 
What are the word admit and grateful? Why do we have the same word for admit and gratitude? Couldn't come up with another word. So Rav Hutner famously said, because really they mean the same thing. Every time you say thank you, you're making an admission. Every time you're mode le, you're being mode al. When I say thank you, what I'm admitting is you benefited me, you enriched me. I am better off because of you. And I'm so thankful to you. I admit it, and that admission turns into gratitude. I'm thankful. So the person who could never admit, they can never admit they're wrong, they can never admit they need anybody, they can never admit anything, will also never be able to say thank you. The two go together. So if you fail to be able to say thank you to a human being who you see, you'll never thank Hashem. We'll never thank Hashem. If you live life with a sense of wonder, wow, an airplane flies in the sky and a car can drive and this cup of coffee from a coffee bean in, I don't know, Nicaragua, I have no idea where this coffee came from. That's unbelievable. And I, a minute ago I was tired and now I drink this thing and I'm bouncing off the wall. Hashem, that's amazing. You could ever love life with eh, Nothing's impressive, everything's whatever. Or you live life where everything's amazing. If you live life where everything is unimpressive, so what, what do you ever have to be grateful? I should be grateful for this coffee. First we couldn't find it, and it finally got here. It wasn't as hot as I like it, and it's a little bit bitter, and I like it to be with the whipped cream on top. I should be thankful for this coffee. Or you could life and say, oh, it's coffee. Wow, it's coffee. Wow, these lights, this air conditioning, this plane, this car, this clothing, this, this family, Unbelievable. Wow. Wow. It's all wow. And if you live life with it's all wow, anytime you live life with the wow, so the logical next step of wow is, I see the good. What's the next step to Hakara Satov? Gratitude. Right? Hakara Satov, we translate as gratitude, but Hakara Satov really is the precedes gratitude. Hakara Satov is the catalyst of gratitude. You see the good and you can't help but be grateful. If I tell you great news, I, you know, I bought you a ticket, and it turns out you won the $650 million Powerball. <laughs> what? Hakara Sato, you see, that's, that's humble. Wow, thank you, thank you, thank I can't thank you enough. Thank you. Eich? Yeah. Bad news for you, I did not. Eich nechye venena me'olam ashir ze yom yom. Rega, rega, mibli lodos avur kozos. So says Revolba, how are we going through life? Every day. And no matter our struggles or our troubles or our challenges, of which everyone has some, some petty and insignificant and others of the highest order, but everyone has. But despite whatever we're going through, how do you not go through life? And even within the darkness, see the light. Even within the challenges, see the moments of wow. And whatever degree you see the wow has to generate a sense of of thank you. A, A sense of thank you. We have a dear friend who's going through an incredibly challenging time and suffering for a horrifically debilitating and terrible illness. How are you doing? Whose speech struggles to even answer, but everything is Baruch Hashem. Hashem is amazing, amazing. Every day better, every day getting better. It's, it's, it's lo yuman, it's, it's unbelievable. But we're exposed to people, they're human beings around us like that, and they inspire us. So we, who are lives, Taka, are unbelievable compared to the people who have the real struggles. The real struggles. Our lives are absolutely incredible. We're not grateful. We're not grateful. Our rabbis gave us a great homework. So what is the purpose of brachos? Now we come back to Birchas Hanenen. So you know what? You're going through life 
We're going through all of our lives as if we're getting off a plane. We're on the phone, we're distracted, we're running, we're doing. So we're running through lives as if we're running off a plane. And just as we fail to say thank you to the pilot who flew us and got us to our destination and landed us safely, we go through life and running and we fail to say thank you to the pilot. We fail, fail to say thank you to the pilot. You know the story, I think I once told it before, Neila, of the plane that hit tremendous turbulence and an engine failure, and the pilot came in the loudspeaker and told everyone to brace. There was an excellent chance it was going to have a crash landing. There was mass hysteria all over the plane, and everyone's going crazy, and some people are, are, are jumping up and down, and other people are making a phone call to tell the people they love them, and others are, are ripping open their prayer books to, to pray. And there's a little girl, and she's sitting very calmly. And the man next to her says, how are you sitting so calmly? There's mass hysteria. Did you hear what he said? And aren't you worried? And, and she said, no. And he said, how are you keeping your calm? How, are you, how do you have it all together? And she said, the pilot's my father. And I know he's going to land us safely. Right? So if you live life with the pilot's your father, so then you can have a sense of confidence. So we do talk a live life. Uh, the pilot is our father. He's flying our plane. He's getting us to the destination. So we could either live life where we're running off the plane and walking right by the pilot. We're on the phone. And we're, we'll tell you, would you believe that, that they had to reset the TV? Would you believe the Wi-Fi was slow? We're telling our loved one. What a ridiculous flight. I only had 17 bags of the blue chips and then they ran out. And you're walking right by the pilot. It's like, hi, I took you in the air and flew you and landed you and, and in this tin box and you had everything. And you just walk right by me. And that's Hashem. He's the pilot. And he says, just... Hi, you're just walking right by me? You woke up this morning, you went to sleep tonight, you had the same head count in your home, everybody's alive and well, you had such wonderful interactions, and you have such bracha and blessing, and everything is so good in your life, and you're just walking right by me to talk on the phone and complain to someone about everything. You're kafoy tov, you're not makir tov, you're walking right by me, I'm the pilot. So our rabbi said, you know what, here's what we're going to do. A hundred times a day we're going to say, you've got to stop, hang up the phone, and talk to the pilot. A hundred times a day, we're going to mandate that you turn to the pilot and you say, thank you. Thank you, pilot, for the little bottle of water. Thank you, pilot, that there's a bathroom on a plane. Thank you, pilot, that there's air conditioning. Thank you, pilot, we took off, we landed relatively on time, like within the same week. Thank you, pilot, that whatever. So a hundred brachas a day, so that we stop and see and thank the pilot. God is the king of the universe. He gives us any, any joy or pleasure we have in life. From a cup of coffee to a good night's sleep to snuggling with a blanket to the clothing we wear, the air conditioning, the car we drive, the children we have, the relationships that are meaningful. He gives us our body, our faculties that work. He gives us our neshama, the Torah, the mitzvahs. At the core, at the root of everything we do is to feel gratitude, to coast and to walk through life. And to keep walking by the pilot and fail to ever say thank you means that you're never stopping to see the good. Because if you ever stopped and considered and saw the good, you couldn't help but say thank you. This midah, this character trait, this core, are you a person who sees the good or are you a person who's blind to the good? Are you living life in high definition, in color? Are you living it in black and white? Are you getting off the plane and giving full attention to the people who got you there? Or are you getting off the plane and you're distracted? That is true both in our interpersonal relationships and it's true in our relationship with God. And what our rabbis understood was if we fail in our interpersonal relationships, then we've got no shot in our relationship with God. If we can't say thank you to the people around us, we'll never be able to feel this intuitive sense of saying thank you to God. 
So how do we train and condition ourselves to feel Hashem's goodness all the time and to feel grateful that everything works out? How do we do it? By ensuring that we're that way with the people around us. Every dinner, every weeknight, somebody, went, somebody earned the money to buy the food, someone shopping with the food, someone cooked the food, someone set the table, someone's going to clean off the table. And usually, sometimes that's one person, that's a tough circumstance, but often that's a bunch of people who are contributing to the buying of the food, the shopping, the, f- the money for the food, the shopping, the cooking, the setting, the cleaning. It involves multiple people, children. Do we stop and do we model for our children? Thank you for clearing your dishes without being asked. Thanks for your help with setting the table. Thank you for cooking that thing and taking it off my plate while I did homework with your sibling. Do we model that we see good or do we take the good for granted? Because by the way, all the, all the research shows that the more that you see good and acknowledge it, the more that people will do that good. There was another drush I gave a few weeks ago. The ratio of compliments to criticisms. Five to one. Gottman's conclusion and all the research in business settings that you'll get more out of your coworkers, colleagues, employees if you give five compliments for every criticism. When we see good, good we take for granted. We assume it's supposed to happen. When people are doing what they're supposed to do, like Alexa, Siri, they're supposed to do what I told them to do. So when people do what, we're supposed to, what, we, what they're supposed to do, we take it for granted. And when do we notice them? When they're doing the wrong thing. That's when they hear from us. Do they ever hear from us when they're doing the right thing? Does Hashem ever hear from us for the things that we took for granted? The things that we consider He was doing the right things? So, Revolba says, the introduction to being able to recite Birchas to Brachas is to work on Hakaras Atov. Saying 100 Brachas a day is saying 100 thank yous a day. It's another way of thinking about this mission. Imagine we tell our children, if you want your phone, if you want this gift, if you want whatever that is thing you want, we've got a clicker, you've got to show me that you said 100 thank yous a day. A hundred thank yous a day. Who drove you to school, picked you up from school? Who held the door when you were walking into school? Did you thank the teacher after every class? Thank you so much for that class. The thank yous. Are we training and conditioning ourselves to see good, not take it for granted, and say thank you? If we do that, we'll see the ultimate good and where that ultimate good is coming from. Are we training ourselves? We sometimes, on the rare occasions that we have dinner as a family, we will sometimes go around the table and each of the children know, where did you feel or see Hashem in your life today? What are you grateful for seeing Hashem in your life? Two questions we try to ask. Where did you see Hashem in your life today? And did you do something nice for someone else today? What did you do for someone else today? So when you do that, sometimes the kids will come to the table and before we even ask the question, they say, I want to tell you something that I did for someone else. I want to tell you something that happened today. Wait, what did we have last week? One of our kids, this is not great, but one of our kids said, uh, teacher told us to put our things away. We're giving us a test. I totally forgot we had a test. I asked Hashem, please help me. And it turned out it was just the questions of the things I knew, and I aced the test. I saw Hashem in my life today. Okay. It was positive in that story. Also, some work to be done. Some work to be done in the story, too. But, in other words, when you ask that question, we, we condition ourselves to live life where we say, where do we see Hashem in my life today? Not just children. As adults, we've got to share that with our children. We've got to model that for them. Where did I see Hashem in my life today? What did I do something nice for someone else today? Did I make my hundred thank yous a day? Birch HaSanenen is, did I stop and say thank you a hundred times a day? Thank you for the coffee. Thank you for everything. The Birch HaSanenen. We'll pick up with this. Next week we're not here. But we'll pick up Amir Tashem the week after. Thursday night is the uh, pre-Pesach workshop if anyone wants to come.